Welcome to the podcast where heavy industrial industries meet the venture capital ecosystem, interviewing both thought-leading investors and pioneering founders to better understand the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead for digital industrial innovation. Your host is Ty Finley, and this is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Karen Carr joins us today from Chicago. Karen is the founder and managing director of Exposition Ventures, an early stage VC fund investing in entrepreneurs who are enabling the digital transformation of the infrastructure of doing business. And prior to launching Exposition Ventures, she was the executive managing director at GE Ventures, running the new industrials team. And before GE Ventures, Karen has a long history of venture experience across Arch Venture Partners, Intellectual Ventures, Patrick Coffin Co. Ventures, and, and many others. And she's also held several board and advisory roles for organizations such as the National Institute of Standards and Technology, the National Science Foundation, Oak Ridge Associated Universities, Evergreen Climate Innovations, MHub Chicago, and many others. And a fun note, Karen is a member of the charter class for the Kaufman Fellows, said differently as class numero uno. Uh, Karen, all of the building up of this digital industrial ecosystem we've shared together across the years. I certainly owe you a big thanks for propelling my career and, and certainly the broader impact you've made on this ecosystem. So awesome to have you on the show. Welcome to the Heavy Hitters. Ty, great to be here with you today. Awesome. We'll, we'll have a fun chat. So my my podcast always starts with some sh- you know short snippet, but there's always color commentary and always a story. So tell us a little bit more about your journey of uh, what led you to launching Exposition Ventures. You know, Ty, the time really was right. I think it was sort of apropos. Uh, you were there uh, early on in our journey when we really built up this theme of investing in advanced manufacturing and this digital transformation of the industrial value chain. I know you were one of uh, our first hires into the group. Um, and, uh, you know, we're still early in the journey, uh, at least in the adoption of these technologies. And so I think a combination of maturing technologies, um, really understanding where we were in terms of adoption, um, really believing that there's an opportunity in this space, and then overlaying that with 30 years of doing venture investing and uh, being very excited about the opportunity to build a firm um, and one that could be lasting and enduring uh, with a thesis that was very robust. It was a great time to, to launch Exposition. Right on. Well, couldn't agree with you more. We've had a lot of fun and it is half the GDP when you roll up all these industrial sectors. So I I think we're just scratching the surface, which is uh, exciting for both of us. So, and so maybe let's set the stage a little bit more for the listeners. Um, Go into a little more detail about exposition ventures generally. And we definitely need to hear how this Chicago Columbian exposition you outline on your website actually helped spur the second industrial revolution and inspired you to launch the fund. Tell us a little bit more. Well, the firm is really an seed early stage firm, uh, really focused on the application of deep tech to transforming this value chain. And we think about the value chain 
Um, you know, you can think about advanced manufacturing and what's happening in the factories from a automation perspective um, and from an application of big data perspective there, but you can go uh, both upstream and downstream in that value chain to look at supply chain logistics, um, services, even there's a wonderful interplay between manufacturing and design, a wonderful interplay between how do you work with the customers and, you know, in a lot of the industries that, that we've touched, uh, th these are products that are really designed for the end user. So there's a great collaboration that has to go on in terms of, of uh, the design there. So that's the kind of, that's how we're thinking about the value chain and the opportunity to make a difference. And obviously you've got to factor in the workforce here. We certainly have a, a shortage of skilled uh, labor in manufacturing these days. And so things that we can do to help uh, make uh, the jobs of manufacturers uh, safer and give them the tools that they need to, to build great products is what we're thinking about. And so, you know, we're doing seed, some pre-seed, some series A. Uh, we're leading wherever possible uh, and uh, uh, enjoying that, that uh, working closely with the entrepreneurs. Uh, in terms of this whole exposition and the Chicago Columbian exposition, uh, which was the 1893 World's Fair. Uh, it was really the coming together of a lot of different themes that why I just landed on that name of exposition. And of course, certainly had some uh, help from, uh, from some colleagues at Leo Burnett on the brand side. Um, but, uh, you know, just a little funny little fun fact is in Chicago, which is absolutely the capital of the Midwest. Uh, so it was a great place to launch a firm focused on these industrial applications. And that's why when I joined GE to build up their practice in advanced manufacturing, we housed the effort in Chicago. Otherwise, it would have been in the Bay Area, right? Because uh, I just looked at where GE had its manufacturing and it was all around the Midwest and you can get every place from Chicago. So that was a little bit of the thinking there. But I live here in Chicago and I live in an old Montgomery Ward building that has on the top of it uh, a statue of the spirit of progress, which is based on um, a statue that was uh, housed at the Chicago Columbian Exposition of 1893, uh, based on Diana, goddess of the hunt. Um, and uh, that second World's Fair was a showcase of the technology that really drove the second industrial revolution, and that was electricity. And so as I think about, you know, kind of these series of industrial revolutions, the first two were about forms of energy, uh, whether that be leveraging steam um, in the first industrial revolution or, or electricity in the second industrial revolution. The third 
and fourth industrial revolutions have really been about IT and compute. The third industrial revolution, we started putting computers in factories. And in this fourth industrial revolution, we're networking technologies. And so as I thought about the, the what to call the firm, this notion of expositions, which have always been a showcase of advanced technologies driving industry forward, really resonated. Um, and we're very focused right now on the fourth industrial revolution, but I guarantee you uh, some folks are starting to talk about a fifth industrial <laughs> revolution. I, I think we've got some work to do still on the fourth, but uh, I, I think it's the gift that we'll keep giving. Well, it's an incredibly thoughtful name. I mean, you're even living in a Montgomery Ward building. So uh, I think you, you you take the cake when it comes to all in on this. And yeah, f fifth industry, sixth industry, 4.0, I don't know. We're, we're, we'll figure it out together. But let, let's do this. Let's let's kick this all off with a look back over just the decade. And you and I have been collaborating and doing deals together in this. Let's use the industry 4.0 word for now. And we both know digital industrial is not a new effort by any stretch. And in fact, and I know you know this, Karen, uh, for our listeners, those who are studying up on their industrial history know that the programmable logic controller or PLCs in industry jargon, they've been around since the late 60s with Dick Morley sending down uh, you know, GM factory floor production vehicles with these little computers on a factory floor. So point being, this is not this is not new per se. But that said, we have undoubtedly seen a big rush of venture capital dollars into these legacy industries over just the last five to 10 years, five to 10 years alone. And, and you, Karen, have played a major role in that. So what's changed over that last time frame to spark this level of investment from venture capitalists specifically? And even though we're currently seeing a, a lot of VC market reset of sorts, what's your outlook on the next decade for digital industrial innovation funding? Yeah, you know, I think the, you're right. The PLC has been around forever. And I would say the PLCs really marked the third industrial revolution. And I think what's different between the 60s and when PLCs uh, first came into being and today is that those computers were siloed and now we have an ability to network them. Um, so uh, I think the IT infrastructure has advanced to the point where we're able to manage a lot of data at scale and do compute at scale um, and to do it in the cloud. And I think what's excited VCs uh, as they've looked at what happens when you, uh, you know, network um, a lot, a lot of data in some of the consumer apps and consumer areas, and in some of the media areas, and have seen uh, how new opportunities and business models have gotten unlocked, um, and the ability to apply advanced analytics and maybe even AI <laughs> to some of that data. I think sure. a lot of it is still statistical, but uh, you can even get to AI. They've seen how that's transformed um, uh, consumer apps. Uh, and I think 
you know, as you said, when you look at the importance of manufacturing and of um, these industrial sectors to the GDP, the notion and, and the amount of data that they're just generating. That's a great point. Yeah. There's, it looks like it's an area ripe uh, for, um, for advancement, leveraging these technologies. So I think that is what has changed to make it exciting. I mean, obviously there are still challenges that in terms of why we haven't advanced as, as far as we would have hoped by this point. Cause I think we're maybe a dozen years into talking about industry 4.0 mm-hmm. and i would and i think you know if you go and talk with um cdos and ctos and heads of manufacturing i think they're still pretty early in their journey yeah i, I think that's a fair comment and it may be aligned to the progression of the last dozen years um you know, downstream capital plays a big part in so, some of these applications, Karen, we've both invested in. Sometimes there's a hardware component, uh, sometimes not. But all that interconnectedness, all the data, all the go-to-market challenges, you you do have to find that downstream capital provider that, that will show up as these companies go on to scale. And so, you know, aligned to that, maybe recently we've seen some great news with uh, Lior and the Clips Ventures team announcing their, their new $1.2 billion set of funds. Uh, Lux Capital, their latest funds, $1.15 billion, I think. And then in the Lens Capitals guys with a $700 million vehicle just to do growth investing in industrial. So there's clearly some momentum going. But how, how do you feel about what you've seen from growth capital in the past and what you see evolving now? Is there enough? Do we need more? Are we even thinking of this the right way as a part of the equation? Well, I mean, congratulations to... Uh, <laughs> To my friends at Eclipse, and um, uh, you know, and they've got uh, some folks on their team who 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 came out of the GE Ventures group right. uh, that we built, and and to my friends at Lux, and it's always great when you're an early stage uh, player to see uh, late stage capital coming into the into the segment. Um, to some extent, I think. Uh, that's that's absolutely positive, and it says that we're we have the opportunity for outsized uh, exits <laughs> when you see companies uh, uh, looking to do more growth uh, investing, um, and I think that's important. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily think that it, that 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 has been a barrier. What I what I would say there is as follows if i think about we'll pick a we'll we'll pick uh two companies from you know from things that we've looked at in the ge days um llama soft which we missed um certainly had growth equity and then eventually got acquired by coupa but i'm thinking about a company like aris which we did Mm -hmm. uh and uh you know, Aris ended up getting uh, bought out at a pretty good multiple by a private equity firm. Uh, and so you've got these private equity firms like a Rubicon who are doing some of these platform plays. Um, 
who would look at these types of industrial applications. So I think it's fantastic that folks like Eclipse and Lux um, and Lynch who have more of a, who come out of the venture part of this equation are now moving, um, you know, upstream into the growth, which just says that they feel that the opportunities that they funded previously have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of high potential exit. So I think it's good. It's good for me. It's good for yeah. the portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Net positive for sure. And it's, you know, we're talking about growth capital, but it's, it's not like we don't need, uh, in my opinion, Karen, 10 X more of me and you at the earlier stage to keep uh, seeding these companies. Uh, so it takes all sides uh, to build the ecosystem. And, and so maybe segue uh, totally unplanned, but let's talk about ecosystem and what's required to have the impact both of us hope happens in this industrial innovation camp, uh, which is again, somewhere, Karen, I know you've been a major catalyst helping combine both private and public collaboration through your board and committee involvements. And you know, we talked about them earlier, but uh, National Science Foundation, National Institute of Standards and Technology, known as NIST, uh, the Oak Ridge Associated Universities that host some of our premier national labs, uh, Oak Ridge National Lab included, uh, et cetera. There's a long list of building ecosystem and capabilities uh, for this ecosystem you've been a part of. So aligned to all of this, one of the big topics of the day is this whole U.S. and China vying for advanced manufacturing prowess over the, the next decade plus. And from the U.S. vantage point, uh, you and I know closely from supporting this effort, the U.S. previously kicked off its focal Manufacturing USA policy and the Associated National Network of Manufacturing Innovation Facilities that was an effort to drive the, the digital industrial agenda. And I know you and I in Chicago, we saw the DMDII, I think it's now rebranded MXD. Um, but even now we have new US policies uh, around these efforts, both uh, the Supply Chain Resiliency Executive Order signed last year from the Biden administration. And I think there's hopes that we'll have a, a chief manufacturing officer in the not too distant future, et cetera. Um, all the things we have going on domestically. And then certainly on the other side of the world, China is clearly not doing anything but accelerating their own efforts via the state-led mandate made in China 25 industrial policy that, Karen, I think at some point during our time at GE Ventures, you actually went to China with some of our portfolio companies and saw it for yourself. So my question after all that setup is, how do you think we're doing in the U.S. and building up the right ecosystem required to maintain our advanced manufacturing innovation leadership? And do you have any thoughts how we could, you know, further bolster it, go faster from our current efforts uh, to make sure that what I think we're seeing is this domestic manufacturing vitalization uh, go faster than than it is? Yeah, you know, I, it's it's interesting because I I uh, <laughs> yeah I did go to China with some of our portfolio companies uh, in my GE days, and my reward for doing that was I ended up running our China office for GE <laughs> Ventures. So I ended up going uh, quarterly. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, China has an industrial policy and the United States has generally shied away from that in a not wanting to pick uh, winners and losers. But the but the U.S. Uh, and government, and I'm thinking of the NSF, has always played a role in um, in really helping to fund the 
development of 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 advanced technologies. Um, NSF is great uh, at doing that and um, is doing a fantastic job uh, of now trying to move those company those technologies from the lab uh, to uh, to companies um, through its ICOR pro program and 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 through its uh, SBIR and STTR programs. Um, NIST NIST is, was an interesting one uh, because NIST was really trying to think through along with the, the, the president's scientific advisory uh, group or council, um, what were the technologies that we would need for advanced manufacturing in the United States? And so that was the genesis of this national network of manufacturing institutes. I think we're calling it something else these days Mm -hmm. uh, but that was a, an initiative that um, that we looked at uh, that I worked on uh, during my time um, on the NIST visiting committee on advanced um, uh, technologies. Um, so we've we've always been interested in the innovation side. I think what we have, what we got away from um, was the manufacturing side. And I, I think we thought in the U.S. Um, that we would dominate on design and outsource manufacturing to low labor rate countries. And I think we have lost sight of, or had lost sight, of the fact that we have a virtuous cycle between innovation, design, and manufacturing. And you know on the 3D printing uh, part that design and manufacturing are intimately tied together. And when you can open up degrees of freedom in manufacturing, you can design differently. And so we went from a period of, you know, China became very, very good at making pretty much everything, but certainly on the electronics front, but not thinking that they could dominate on the advanced designs to now, they're actually making progress in their mm -hmm. ability to innovate because they know so much about the manufacturing. And so I'm optimistic, and I think it's absolutely the right thing for us to do, to lean into reshoring electronics manufacturing um, and manufacturing, more broadly speaking, because of that virtuous cycle. And I certainly see things like the CHIPS Act and the Inflation Reduction Act as ways to try to spur that infrastructure development that's going to be required and that infrastructure investment that's going to be required for 
domestic manufacturing to happen. But I think I, I don't think we can rest on our laurels as innovation and design leaders without being close to the manufacturing. Yeah, I think it's incredibly well said. Um, and and you and I both know there are a lot of efforts out there that are starting not just to pop up, but have been at it for a little while now. And um, recently had uh, Dennis Muhlenberg with New Vista Capital on talking about the key here is to, to bring all of those constituents together uh, instead of us all having our silo discussions, which again, appreciate you coming on the show. We're trying to build some community, but you got you know, you got Jeff Wilkie, former number two at Amazon with his rebuild manufacturing effort. You got Eric Schmidt. He's launched the special competitive studies project that has an advanced manufacturing prowess in it. Uh, and then all the things that you've been a part of, Karen. So I think the challenge is on UI and the ecosystem. You know, when, when is the next um, manufacturing summit we're going to put together, Karen? I, I know we had some fun ones back in the day when we go out to D.C. and visit with NIST and others. So we need yeah, to we should out do what, it. What let's, so let's commit to doing it. All right. I think we I think we could put a crew together very quickly to do it. So uh, the, that's the, the challenge for us. So, well, maybe I'll push us forward here on the podcast. This is a fun one. It's a it's a crowd favorite in every regard here, especially with you, Karen, who've seen a lot of things over the years. Uh, our audience loves to hear leading trends in areas that maybe have the fastest moving adoption within the emerging digital industrial industry 4.0 ecosystem. So in the section we love to call what's hot and what's hype. What thoughts do you have about technologies or business model, innovative approaches, whatever, that are hot and currently being deployed at scale versus areas that you think have innovation and promising, but maybe to use that Gartner term, are overhyped right now, given some immature commercial readiness? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on both sides of that. Um, hey, you know, we, we probably started our practice at GE Ventures looking at 3D printing, and obviously that was a a big area for uh for GE um and it's an area and it's a space that's been around for like 40 years right <laughs> um people are actually oh, yeah. making product today uh and uh it's starting to get you know effective from a a cost uh perspective in a few spaces Mm -hmm. um, Didn't Relativity Space just send like a, one of the largest payloads with their their prototype, and that's all you know, three D oriented, right? As one yeah, example amongst so, others. So I, I think three D printing is like my perfect like hype cycle, like technology, right? It was hot, then we went into the trough of disillusionment, mm -hmm. and now we're actually making stuff with it mm -hmm. that's uh, useful. I'm in the trough of disillusionment right now with uh, AR, VR, <laughs> to mm. be honest. Um, I still don't think the, the headsets are that great. Um, the technology is promising. Uh, you know, we've done lots of tests where you put them on uh, workers and they're able to go faster, do less errors. But I just don't see them wearing these headsets for eight hours first <laughs> do, you, do you remember when we took the team out to visit jeremy balenson and the stanford crew and we put the ar on and they did like walk the plank and all that and half our team was almost in the bathroom having to give up their lunch so yeah i i think we're still a little bit of that too that's spot on uh um 
blockchain uh, is probably in the, a little bit on the trough of disillusionment after a lot of hype now, because uh, people are trying to think about, well, how is this better than an actual database? Uh, but I do think this is a promising technology. So uh, I think stay tuned on that one, but I think we're in the disillusionment phase right now. Mm-hmm. Um, What's getting am, you excited? Where, where are you trying to put dollars at work? You know, um, I'm looking a lot at uh, cybersecurity of these mm. days because, uh, you know, hey, uh, once you connect all of these items, you know that uh, they're going to be ripe for attack. Um, so that's an area that we're trying to spend a little bit of time uh, getting, looking for opportunities, particularly on edge security. Um, I'm extremely intrigued about the opportunity for generative AI in helping on, I think, one, what has been the biggest problem in the adoption of IoT applications writ large is just that there's so much data translation that needs to happen uh, that a lot of these companies that are trying to do the analytics work get stuck with a lot of ProServe that um, I, I'm, I'm intrigued there. So I'm looking there. Um, I, I just did a company, MemQ, that is um, uh, silicon-based um, components for um, quantum networking. And I'm super excited about that. I think that's one of those things where uh, things in your rear view mirror may appear closer than you think because, uh, hey, you know, I got a PhD in uh, physical chemistry. So I've been following quantum computing for a long time. And uh, for a long time, I've said, hey, you've got to be kidding me. This is never going to be commercially viable. But I think the model has changed. I think the model has moved from hey, I'm going to have a quantum computer on my desk to there's going to be quantum computing service in the cloud. I'm going to send my problems there. And now you're starting to see the large players, the IBMs, the Googles working on building um, quantum cloud computing capabilities. So uh, I'm I'm excited about that, and uh, yeah, that's that's one I'm particularly excited about. Right on, all great trends. Um, well, maybe Karen, we'd love to always bring this discussion back at, on the podcast to the, the folks in the arena that are building the founders. So maybe um, we'll keep this one try to kind of keep this one kind of tight. But um, what's one thing you'd say as they're either thinking about raising capital or approaching expedition ventures uh, to help them with a key to success, and then maybe a common challenge to help them avoid as they uh, as they get kicked off on their journey. You know, I think we've just been through like a whole, probably a decade of everything is up and to the right, and folks have gotten super obsessed with um, valuation pops, 
And I would just tell people not to maybe over index on valuation, to try to find the right partners <laughs> to help you build your business. Um, and it takes a long time to be an overnight success. So, uh, you know, I think you're starting to see companies that have gotten it over their skis and trying to perform unnatural acts to try to prop up valuations. I wouldn't be so sensitive about that. The key right now is just don't run out of money. It's a great point. Times times are changing, and uh, or Bill Gurley says, right, new game on the field per se, whatever we want to define it. Um, okay, Karen, we'll, we always wrap up here a little little section called quick hitters for some Q and A. So if you're ready, we'll jump in. Okay. Okay. Number one thing you're looking for when you're evaluating a founder within this digital industrial ecosystem. You know, I'm I'm looking for entrepreneurs that have a right to win, and there are a couple of things that could give them the right to win. They could be a serial successful entrepreneur out of the segment, like my team at Highbyte. Um, that's the team that came from Kepware, which they sold to PTC. I could be, I, I like entrepreneurs that have like cutting edge technologies that create defensible moats. Um, you know, that's what I got with my team at, uh, uh, at MemQ. Uh, that's real intellectual property there. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for entrepreneurs that really understand the workflows that they're trying to impact with their solutions. And one, what is one resource, it could be a book, podcast, blog, you'd recommend our audience to follow in the ecosystem? Well, I wouldn't be very smart if I didn't say heavy hitters, right? All right. There we go. So, <laughs> so I think. Pr promote the podcast <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> heavy hitters is a great podcast. If I, uh, um, I think Manufacturing Happy Hour is another very good podcast. That's a great one, yeah. From a show's perspective, uh, Fabtech or Hanover Messe, if you find yourself in mm. Hanover, Germany, I mean, I think you walk the floor in, the, um, in any of those shows and you'll go get a PhD in this space. Um, and then from a reading perspective, um, Industry Week, EE Times, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, those are great sources. Yeah, even the mainstream news now, the industrial applications are front page, right? Kind of important we get half the GDP, right? So it's a great yep. comment. Um, one person who should be on here, help us further build up the, the ecosystem. You know what? We started talking about PLCs being around since the 60s. So I'd suggest Sujit Chand. He's the uh, retired CTO from Rockwell Automation and, and a venture partner at Exposition. But he's an expert on the PLC space, uh, given Rockwell Automation's uh, dominance there. And he's just a super great guy, very thoughtful guy about what's happening in this space. I love that. Great part or great pull by you to bring him on as a venture partner. I know we all had a chance to meet up in Austin, uh, but yeah, that's a great recommend. Let's go deep on the PLC. I'll, uh, I'll reach out to Sujit, try to get that one going. And, and then finally, uh, best way for folks to reach out to you, Karen. Hey, they should uh, shoot me an email. Uh, yeah. Karen at exposition.ventures.
Right on. Well, we've we've been at it for uh, for a decade plus, and then we've got a lot more decades ahead, I think, is we've got a big opportunity to make a big impact, Karen. So it was a privilege to have you on, and uh, I can't wait to keep finding more to work with you on. Ty, it was fun to team up with you on this. It was fun to work with you earlier in your career and uh, look forward to, to collaborating on more deals and on that conference. Let's That's right. We're on, we're on the hook for it. All right, Karen, we'll make it happen. All right.